to get started. Sit back, enjoy the show in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. What's up? Sitzik Sarrell, Rash Madani, Tim McAlive off today, back next week. Here's the show. Ross Atkins, Jay's GM. We got questions. Arash, does Ross break a trade live on the show today? I'm going to press him. I, I want to trade. I want to trade or or signing live, live. We go. We go back now. Ways I, at this point, I want Ross to give us a you name. Want we are after we... blank. <laughs> you want? I'll, it. I'll take that. Name. Yeah. Because we've we hold on. We've heard enough of that. We are. We did a whole match game on it yesterday. Right. The Jays are in on blank. You're saying you want one from the GM's mouth. I want the, the, I want the horse's the GM GM's say, mouth. Yes, we are pursuing right. George Springer, and we've offered him five years, 125. That's what I want to hear from Ross. What's the worst thing he tells us? I can't really tell you right now. I understand. Right. You understand. We can take right. a swing. We can take but a Ross, swing. Just between th- you and me. Just between us. Just no one's listening. We're good. <laughs> this, will not, this won't be sent out and amplified anywhere else on social media. Just yeah. us. Ross Atkins joins us in 20 minutes with Arash and myself. And a big thank you to Arash again for doing this this week. Really appreciate him doing it. Uh, Brian Burke will be joining us. I wish we had more to talk about with Burke. He's been off for a couple of weeks, well deserved, but it's we're still in this thing. And by the, and Arash, you and I, we've been here all week. We, never mind the NHL situation. We still haven't brought up the fact that our world juniors are locked in hotel rooms in Red Deer, talking to journalists on Zoom till December seventh, right. while that quarantine goes on. Like you have all these international, you have nine other international teams flying into Alberta. Last time I checked, Alberta's in a bit of a quandary. Like, how's that going to play out? We haven't even gone down that road yet. And I, think I know the it's a Finnish, big... The Finnish Federation has said we're shutting Correct. everything down right now. Finnish League shut hockey. it down. Finnish League said they are not playing hockey. Brian Burke joins us. Uh, Dan Schulman, who it's like every week is Hall of Fame Dan Schulman update week. Mm-hmm. A couple of weeks ago was the Ford C. Frick for Cooperstown, which he's eligible for. We'll find out this coming Wednesday if Dan Schulman goes into the Baseball Hall of Fame broadcasting wing. But uh, he's also honored by the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. We found out on Monday of this week, and uh, we'll talk to Dan Schulman. He, he also called, what was it, West, was it West Virginia Gonzaga last night on yeah. ESPN? Was that the game? Um, we'll ask him Gonzaga's. Kentucky game on the weekend, yeah. Oh, he's been busy. He's been busy. Feed goes out. Holly Rose starts calling play-by-play because him and Jay Billis are running around Bristol trying to – we'll get the story with that. That was kind of interesting. Uh, but before we get to Pascal Siakam – and the Westbrook trade, and the things going on in the NBA, and there's a ton. Arash, what was the dumbest question you've ever asked anyone in sports? Because I think earlier today, as Pascal Siakam was speaking to the media in Tampa, coming off the year he did, and we'll get to that stuff in a second, he, was, he led us into his world a bit. It was fascinating. But there was a question asked today that ranks right up there with one of the dumber things ever. What's the dumbest thing you, and I'll chime in as well, What's, what's the dumbest thing you've ever asked someone in this profession? Oof, that is a good we, one. We've all had it. We've all been there. We've all done the idiot I, thing. I'm just doing the Rolodex of all of them. Like, there have been so many that I'm just shuffling through. That was not my we, intention to shine right. a spotlight on all of them. I was just, on my stupidity? Was uh, no, that was not where I wanted to go with this. I was just asking for one. We've all done you it. You sandbagger, six arrow. Um, <laughs> what would be... Um, I can give you one. How about this? How about this? Think about yeah. it. I'll give you mine. I'll give you mine. Because I was covering the Leafs, I guess, early 2000s. Gary Roberts was on the team. Yeah. Playoffs. And he takes, had to be against the Sens because those series were brutal. Took a puck or a stick off the mouth. And it was just brutal. But the next day at practice, 
who walks out to do his media availability with with his with the bottom part of his face twice as big as the top it's Gary Roberts sure so I'm holding a score television network microphone I'm in I'm in front and um, I ask him with a straight face I ask Gary Roberts how does it feel <laughs> To which, what was the to, answer? He paused, looked at me, and said, "Not great." Yeah. <laughs> so, and and years later, he was in studio with Tim and I. I forget for what uh, Kipper was in with him. I told him that story again, and it was it was far more amusing than when it happened in previous years. It was dumb. That was an idiot question. Do you have? Would you like to contribute, or we can, we can move on? I'm fine with moving on, Arash. Forgive uh, me. I did spring this on you. The the one thing that I just just came to mind is not necessarily a question, but the day of the London 2012 opening ceremony Olympics. Remember, myself, well. cameraman Mario Fontana, we get assigned by the consortium. We're going to be the ones to go down, interview two members of Team Canada, and they tell us you're going to get Christine Sinclair and Simon Whitfield. Nice. We're like, great, A-listers, nice. awesome. So uh, as Team Canada comes out, there they go. They walk right past us. No Christine, no Whitfield. Okay? Uh, we get a text. We're going to bring them over to you afterwards. All right. Well, over walks a COC PR person saying, um, we're about to bring the athletes over. Are you guys ready? Yep. Well, another COC PR person comes over with a female athlete that was not Christine Sinclair, Sid, there were over 350 Canadian Olympians. Oh, no. And I oh. had no idea. <laughs> so so you're, wait a second. So your first two questions, so like this is a worse spot than the Kawasaki Mark DeRosa incident. Like you're so in a worse I, spot. I, I extend my hand. This is before <laughs> social distancing was a thing. And what I introduced do do? myself. What do you and do? the... Uh, the athlete introduced herself to me, and at that point, I had no idea who it was, and I have to conduct an interview. So, and I'm trying, so we finish the interview, and Mario looks at me and says, you have no idea who that is, huh? I'm like, nope, not a clue. <laughs> well, a week and a half later, I come back into the broadcast center, everybody's huddled around the TV, I'm like, what's going on? They're like, Canada's about to win our first gold medal, as it turned out, the only gold medal wow. of London 2012. I look at the screen. I'm like, oh, that's my friend Rosie. It was Rosie McLennan, who nice. at the time nobody knew who she was. And since she became the first Canadian to successfully defend her Olympic title in an individual sport. So Rosie, uh, that's my Rosie McLennan story. And it's not a, it's not a clown question, bro, as our friend Beckler oh. uh, was able to, uh, to garner. <laughs> but uh, it's one of my favorite stories of I have no idea what I'm doing here and what's going See, on. I. I, I like what just happened here. Arash paused and gave a story where he not only did not look like an idiot, but exposed his elaborate tap dancing abilities in the moment, and it ends on a happy note while right. I was just an idiot. So it's a little from column A and a little from column B. Really? And, so and I got to call out Beckler. Story. And, you, and yes, I got to call out Beckler. Shout out Beckler right. in, the, in the infamous Bryce Harper interview. All right. Uh, Pascal Siakam spoke today over Zoom. Um, I hate these things, but it's the best we can do to talk to these athletes. I'm, I'm, forgive me if I'm getting repetitive, but this is all we got. But it doesn't mean you, get, you don't get great stuff. We got great stuff. 
from Pascal Siakam today. Let's start with him reflecting on how disappointing his experience was in the bubble a year ago, how he felt, where he was mentally. This He, he let it all out today. Roll it. I didn't feel like I was where I wanted to be um, physically and mentally, you know. So um, obviously you look at that and you want to look at, you know, everything else. But at the same time, for me, it was just about getting, getting right, like um, making sure that I'm good uh, and mentally, making sure that I'm good, you know, like and, and I think we worry a lot about sometimes like, you know, it goes so fast, like we, we, we get into this life and there's this basketball every day, you know, there's problems here. And then, you know, we got a pandemic, we got all of this. And, and sometimes we forget to just, you know, kind of like relax and uh, enjoy life. Like something that I felt like, you know, I didn't like it, it was it was weird watching myself. Like, I think when I watched the game, um, one of the things that I really pointed out was just the fact that, you know, I didn't I didn't recognize myself in terms of just like having fun like that. <laughs> like I'm, I'm always somebody that has fun playing the game and I love this game and um, and 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 I don't I don't never want to be able to play the game without without any joy. You know, and I think that's just something that I didn't see in myself, um, which is something that, you know, for me, I just I just I just want to have fun and I just want to I just want to be able to play the game, um, work hard have fun and, and, and I think that's something I want to get back to. Um, I, I obviously I looked at the games and, and things that I could have done better, but I think overall it's just like, you know, getting right, like getting right, man. Like there's a lot of things going on in the world and I think we all gotta um, kind of, you know, make sure that we get right. And, 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 and for me, that was the main focus, just, just getting right. I mean, I'm in a good place right now. I feel, I feel happy, excited about the future and, 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 you know, um, and, and, and I just feel like I have that, that joy again. Uh, in 2020, I think a lot of people can relate to those comments. Uh, it doesn't matter what walk of life you are in. Mm-hmm. Whether you're a highly paid all-star in the NBA like that young man is, or and the rest of us, it is those words you can translate to any walk of life. And Arash, when you saw him play at times, you, like he looked like he lacked that joy. He looked like he lacked that energy. And it all makes sense in terms of what was going on. Some people... I just handled it a bit better. I, I hesitate to even use the word better because you're just handling it, period. You can't do it any more or worse than you're doing it. It's a situation we were all in. But it's obvious it affected him. My question to you here, Arash, and you can double back and comment on anything you want, is does this translate at all into what we see in another unique Raptors situation here with Pascal in terms of his prep? We talked to Bobby Webster this week. It seems like they have clarified some things. What are your expectations of this young man? I have high expectations of Siakam. Look, I thought the bubble was a speed bump. I I thought it was so revealing and telling what he said there. I didn't even recognize myself that I had lost that joy. Mm-hmm. Sid, and I know you know in a pandemic world, it's hard to um, it's hard to think back to the summer of 2019. But just the other day, it feels like eight years ago. Right. <laughs> Eight years ago. The other day, I, you know, it was a nice night. After the show, I actually walked. I went out for a walk, and I walked by Nathan Phillips Square, and I just kind of paused and looked out there, and I'm like, man, there were 2 million people here 18 months ago. And I think, yes, of course, winning is the reason why um, so many people love that Raptors team. But this, this group has been a likable bunch now for a couple of years. And I think when DeMar DeRozan came public with his 
issue, the mental health issues that he was dealing with, and he revealed a little bit of his soul. It, it felt like the fan base kind of opened its arms up to him. And Pascal, after an incredible Game 1 performance in the NBA Finals, you know, pouring in more than 30 points, says, I wish my late father were around to watch this. And then Pascal again today saying, look, it was tough. I, I find the fact that this group, this team, that they're not robotic guys. Fans always want to know, Sid, what's so-and-so like? Who, well, you know, what's so-and-so all about? These guys are letting people in a little bit. And Siakam saying, I, I now understand what had happened. I understand what I went through. These are some of the issues I dealt with. Yeah, yeah, he's making a lot of money, but he's a 26-year-old dude by himself trying to figure things out. And when Bobby Webster told us this week that, yeah, Masai and I went to L.A. and we had tough conversations, but Pascal was putting in the work and putting in the time, I, I really believe that Siakam's bubble is going to be an anomaly based on the body of work of everything we've seen from him throughout his career and also the trajectory in which he was on. And when he says what he said today, I think that's emblematic of where his headspace is going into a new season with a fresh start. I, I think Arash, it's well put. And you mentioned when, when DeMar said what he said about mental health, how, how the Raptors fans open their arms, the league I found sure. most of the sports society that we live in open. And then you had, you had comments from Kevin Love and, you, and, and Paul George said things, things just weren't right in that bubble. Like you could see he, he, he was very vocal about that. Eventually, he was very vocal about it. These it are became comments that, okay to talk about it. Ten years ago, you're not hearing it. Right. You are not hearing it. Pascal Siakam just did something that 10 to 15 years ago would have been front page news. We're not flinching. And that's good. That's the way it should be because we're all getting hit with this. It doesn't matter what type of way it's coming at you. And it's fine. And, and Raptor fans, would have, they, they, they will do the same thing today with Pascal that they did with DeMar and that the NBA community has done with many other players. This is messed up. And you're now, allowed to not be okay. But, but it, it is a little concerning to me, Arash. I'll just double back a little bit here. Sure. The, to lose the joy of the game like he did that young that is a little concerning to me but again you mentioned speed bump i would agree with you i think we're going to see the siakam we've kind of grown to know and love over the last 24 months bubble notwithstanding and i think he's going to rebound forgive me i jumped on go on yeah no it's fine look a couple of things. Siakam took the brunt of this. And yes, his Ooh, numbers yeah. were down. Guys, let's run, let's look at that board again. And if if you read some of the things that were said about Siakam or listen to some of the things, yes, his production was down. But it's not like he fully fell off the cliff. Even when everything was bad, he was still scoring 16 a night, 17 a night. So it's not as if he was a flash in the pan and then he fell off. There is still so much to build on from a basketball standpoint here. And I think it's really important, and I mentioned this the other day, but when the pandemic hit in mid-March, nobody knew what was going on. And nobody knew what you could do and what you couldn't do. And everybody handled their business differently. And you had no idea if basketball was coming back or not. I just... I. I look at the upside of Pascal Siakam and what I think he can be as a basketball player and that he has gone through this. I was listening to Magic Johnson uh, in a 
he did a sit down with Jim Hill. It's from a couple of years ago. And Magic talks about losing the 84 finals to the Celtics and being called tragic Magic and him being responsible for it. And what happened afterwards? The Lakers win three of the next four championships. You have to go through some of this at stages of your career. And this is this is a chapter of Pascal's career. It's not the book. Uh, a great point, Arash. And I think in hindsight, hearing him speak today, in hindsight, because all you heard, Arash, towards the end of the Celtics series was why is Nick going back to him? Yep. Why is Nurse going back to Pascal Siakam in these moments where it's not working in this game and it's not working in that game and it better you better not do it in games? Okay, he went back to Siakam like that late in game seven. Mm -hmm. The reason is Nick knew what the kid was going through, and it would have made it worse if you gave him the Marcus Gasol treatment and told him to sit the hell down. I think and, in and hindsight, maybe, that was a big moment, a big moment for him, and trust was earned, I think. I think we'll see it this year. Trust and not only that, Sid, in that, in that moment, maybe it takes a spark to get him going. Maybe he just gets hot and things can turn. Maybe you look at the body of work and say, okay, maybe tonight's the night things get different, things get better. And also, quite frankly, what other options did Nick have? Especially with other portions of the bench looking like they were. I completely agree with you. So, um, so again, that was, that was the part of Pascal Siakam today that was really revealing. And, and to echo what you were saying, Arash, when you combine how he, he wore it at the end of the Celtics series, especially after the game, where he basically said, I'm the reason we lost. And that's not entirely true. And then what we heard from him today, I think he has spoken on this enough, and I'm good. With all yeah. due respect to all, all of our colleagues who are tremendous, who follow this team. New season, new start. I think, I think we have hit it with Pascal. Mm -hmm. Let's move forward a little bit. Because I've, I've rarely seen an athlete after the series and entering a new year that candid. And if you don't, if you don't remember what he said after the Celtics series, Raptors.com is amazing for this stuff. They still might have it on record. Go watch it. Um, so, so it was a subdued uh, Pascal to a certain extent, but that would eventually change a ration that availability. And he had fire in his eyes. <laughs> and I want to personally thank, uh, not not your normal Raptors beat person. I want to personally thank from ESPN Brazil, Gustavo Faldon, because Gustavo Faldon today. Uh, poked the bear and he asked uh, a rather dumb question that not only got Raptors Nation going but more importantly to me it got Pascal and for those who don't see Pascal Siakam in a media setting a lot he is not shy to call you out you don't see that run often but trust me when I say that and he's always fair when he does it if he, he'll ask you a follow-up if he doesn't understand it and most of the time He's in the right. This speaks for itself. Again, shout out my dude from ESPN Brazil. I think you may have woken Pascal up. Roll it. A couple of years ago, the Raptors uh, surprisingly won the NBA championship. Then last season, you guys had to live with the expectations of being the defending champion. What does that even mean? No, it wasn't that way. I mean, because people were just pointing out that the Warriors were the favorites. That's all. I totally deserve it. You guys totally deserve it. Just to make that clear. Yeah, let's make it clear. They, uh, they, 
didn't surprisingly beat Philly and Milwaukee and Orlando. How about the backpedaling from your boy Gustavo, by the way? Oh, my God. He was moonwalking like I've never seen. Guys, can you roll it without the audio? Because Arash made a point to me before the show while we were looking at it. The facial expressions, Arash, that stuck out to you with Pascal in this? This is going to be a gif one day. Pascal's face, just the eyebrows (laughs) pop up. The neck tilts. The eyes roll. The face scrunches up. He shakes his head. Come on, man. He That's Monday Night Football it. right there, Sid. That's, That's a, a come c- on, man. Yeah. That's a huge come on, man. So I, uh, if you ever watch some of these and you hear Gustavo Faldone in the queue, right? stick around. Get your something popcorn good ready. is coming. Uh, they didn't surprisingly do anything. They won an NBA title because they were the best team. That's it. We're going to take a break. Ross Atkins, GM of the Jays, joining us next. We're going to ask him flat out. Flat out. When's the, when have you texted George Springer last? Can you right. read it to us? We're going we're gonna to dig here. Ross Atkins has been great to this show. Damn it, I need some George Springer news, and I need it now. He's next. Tim Sidnarash, live on TV and radio. Baseball hot stove. Surprisingly. Unbelievable. Welcome back. He's Arash Madani. I'm Sid Sixero. Brian Burke, Dan Schulman, still to come. The Blue Jays offseason. I mean, you got Robbie Ray, some non-tenders yesterday. Business has been done, Arash. But in terms of hot stove rumors, the Jays have been cooking with gas for weeks. Linked to so many people. Ross Atkins is joining us on the line. Ross, I know I like to ask you a nice light question off the front, but I'm peaked. I'm peaked. I'm excited. The Jays are in on everybody, so the internet tells me. So I'm going to get right in. Permission to get right into it. Can I get right into it? I, do, do I have a choice, Sid? I mean, really. <laughs> you, you know me now. You know me now, Ross. I appreciate it. All right, here it is. When's the last time you spoke to George Springer's agent? <laughs> yeah, you know what? Well, Casey, Casey Close has a he's got a, a great year. It's a great off season for him. They they do an incredible job. I, I love uh, dealing with Casey and talking to Casey. So um, you know, we we stay in regular contact. What does regular you, contact mean? Yeah, come on. Good question, Rash. Good question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, like like any other agency that, that's representing, they they have several free agents. It's at least once a week that we're connecting with them. They have also several agents that we're talking to, and it's not just myself. So different members of the front office are reaching out, and uh, you know, they as I said, like they 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 have a a very good group of free agents this year. So we've had pretty consistent contact with that group. Ross Atkins, Jays GM here on Tim and Sid. Uh, this question has nothing to do with George Springer. Are you in a position with Rodgers where if you had to go $100 million on a player, you would be able to do it this offseason? Do you feel comfortable doing that? Well, you know, like we, we've said it you know, several times, and uh, we, we are in a, in a good position where we've communicated our plan for years, not just for days, but for several years we've been communicating our plan. Um, you know, last year we had an offseason that uh, we spent a lot of money and added to this group. And at the deadline we did that again. And we've continued to talk about our plan, and they've continued to support us. So uh, we are confident that we're going to be able to add to this team and uh, we have the support of Rodgers on that front. Where's the priority to add Ross right now? In what areas? Yeah, the, Arash, the, the priority for us is to, in an ideal world, 
get better in a condensed in a condensed way. So adding a very good player to the group of very good players that we already have. At the same time, that doesn't mean that will be the first thing that happens. Uh, but but that's our goal this off season. And last off season, we were able to add. Yunchen Ryu, and we'd like to add a player of that caliber again or better. And, you know, what, what format, what position it comes in, we'll see. Uh, but it, hopefully our offseason doesn't end with that. doesn't mean that we're only going to, you know, obviously we need to do more than just add one player to the group. And we'll, and we'll work hard to do so. But I think in addition to that, what we're excited about is how young and already successful the the group that is here has been but how we can complement them and adding experienced players that are successful and that have different sets of experience to you know help uh, Kevin and Bo and Vladdy and Nate Pearson and and others continue to grow as as being the best in the world at something and trying to to bring back a championship to this country so um, that that's exciting and an, and an exciting aspect of it. Ross Atkins, Jay's GM here on Tim and Sid. Um, you mentioned Yunjin Ryu and the deal you cut with him last year. I Mike Miner just signed with the Royals, and he he had a very interesting comment about one of the reasons he went back to Kansas City, and he he said he didn't want to be in a situation where he was third time through the rotation and yanked. And I have to wonder, Ross, there has to be some residue of what happened in Game 6 of that World Series with certain guys, not all guys maybe, but certain guys. When you're talking to free agents starting pitchers, do they bring that up? Are they asking you? I mean, everyone wants to know how they're going to be used, but specifically that type of usage for a pitcher. Does that come up in conversations a lot with players or agents? Um, you know, not, not that directly it hasn't. I, you know, I think everyone wants to know um, – philosophies and personalities they want to get a feel for the authenticity of our interactions of you know getting to know charlie to the best of their ability and it's not just from talking to us virtually or talking to us on the phone or in-person meetings it's also from their reconnaissance and the work that they can do on us so i think it's more along the lines of knowing the people and less about really specific circumstances like that Ross, on the pitching front, Taiwan Walker, you get at the deadline. Have there been conversations there? Are you close to any kind of extension with uh, with Walker? Well, Taiwan's a free agent, so we're you know he we're uh, there's all we're, there are many free agent pitchers that we're talking to, and we'll continue to. There's um, you know anyone of that caliber, we certainly want to understand where they are, what their interest level might be with us, and. Um, we'll, we'll, con- we'll continue to, to canvas that market for sure. It just sounded like he was interested. You know, th- those are some of the things that he kind of bled on towards the end of the season on social media, some of those things. I just wondered, not necessarily a hometown discount, but just because he's familiar with the surroundings, he knows what the organization's all about, what kind of advantage that may give you? Yeah, you know what? You know what's cooler, Ash? I feel so good about what we just went through as a group, as an organization, having played out of Toronto in Buffalo, we were able to provide the resources that players need, uh, the environment that players need and want. And ultimately, for guys like Taiwan Walker, for guys like Chin Ryu and Bo and Kevin, the names we mentioned and talked about and that are already here, they want a couple of things. They want the chance to compete. 
and that means the chance to win. And then they want to have the resources they need to prepare, compete, and recover. And we were able to pull that off in a different environment. And I think that resonated with guys like Robbie Ray and Ty and, and, and speaks to the, the work of Marnie Starkman and her team, Mark Shapiro and his leadership. And it, it feels so good to be a part of an organization that was that agile and able to do that for players. Ultimately, that's why we're here. You know, we're, we're here to help players succeed and help them come together and, and hopefully win. So uh, that, that did resonate with guys, and it has benefited. We have benefited from that as we've talked to free agents. Ross, how content were you with your DH spot last year? And I ask that because obviously 59 names did get tendered yesterday. Some interesting names out there. I mean, I think people thought there was going to be more sizzle, but it, was, it seemed like a normal non-tender. But a guy like Kyle Schwarber, not that long ago, he had 38 home runs, played 155 games. Are, are you content with your DH spot? Did you see enough at a rowdy where you're, you're saying to yourself, I'm okay? Or is that, is that a market you'd like to maybe think about dipping in? Yeah, so a couple things. Like one, I, I'm, we're really excited about the progress of Vladdy, you know, where he is at only 21 years old, to have gone, gone through the success and, um, you know, I, I wouldn't call it by any means failure, but just setback and, and feeling as though he didn't realize his, his ability last year and his potential didn't play up to it last year and, and really the year before. And he is motivated and driven. And so hopefully that means he's DHing a lot less. And then ideally, you know, we, we talk about versatility, we talk about depth all the time, but when you get to the point where you're using – that DH spot with someone who's dying to be on the field and has the ability to be on the field, and you're adding that amount of versatility and depth, but also elite offensive performance, that's where we want to be. We may not get there this offseason. We will get there at some point. So if we aren't able to create a position player roster of that caliber that we have, you know, move someone like, Oscar Hernandez or Lourdes Gurriel into those DH at bats because we acquired another really good outfielder or, you know, we're, we're only DHing one of our infielders because we want to give them that, we want to give them a blow and give them a day off their feet for the entire time. You know, that's our goal, but by no means would we want to eliminate ourselves from considering someone who is more of a pure DH. Ross, you mentioned Vladdy. He's gone from uh, outside linebacker to free safety in physique. <laughs> what would it take for him to be your starting third baseman next season, day in and day out? You know what? It's pretty. It's it, it's it's as lofty as that sounds. It really comes down to two things, and one is just body comp, and yeah. then two would be the reps. So it's not just as simple as he gets down to a certain weight and it happens, but he has the hardest things to the hardest things to to acquire to have the characteristics or attributes that make you a good defender are hands and arm, and he has those for sure. So if he could put himself into the position to get the reps and to learn the pace of the game at the major league level, and we could expose that to him in a way that doesn't expose us. That really is exciting to think about. So we haven't closed that door. He could close it, or he could continue to open it. And that, that's been exciting to think about. And the what versatility th- of Cabin Vigio helps us, allows us to consider sure. that day by day, but not take us out of the third base market. Yeah. I, I just wonder from, you, from your perspective, 
What's happened this offseason that the proverbial light has come on for Vlad? Why now? Why do you think it was after this season, after that, you know, that he's understood well, being a pro is yeah. more than just showing up to the field during the season? Yeah, I think actually last year was pretty productive for him because he had the knee injury and he had a really productive offseason. We were with him on a daily basis. He was in a similar shape at this time last year. And, you know, almost not, not quite as good, but similar. And then spring training was shut down. Right. And the, that, that regimen and that routine shifted. So, you know, I think it's, it's not as much a light as much as it is a dimmer. And he is, he's just maturing. He's so young and it's, it's awesome to see. It's awesome to see, to think about him realizing that potential. I mean, he legitimately could, which, you know, I, I really do try not to talk about potential as much. You just feel like I, I'm putting, you know, we are putting so much expectation and pressure, but it's just so genuinely exciting to think about Vladimir Guerrero with his hands, his bat speed, with his athleticism and, and the power of what that could do. Just And, and obviously the plate discipline and contact ability. And, I mean, everyone who ever watches, you don't need to be a major league professional scout to talk about his bat speed. You know, the home run derby was an absolute display of, you know, I mean, just it was remarkable. So to think about that athleticism coming back into the fold and think about what that could mean for him and his career and therefore our team, it's, that's, that's fun. That's fun to think about. Ross, one last thing before my final question on Vlad. So Dominican winter ball, is that finalized? Are there loose ends to tie up or is he doing it? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're working through it with him on a daily basis, and we will be supportive. What, what's driving him are all the right things, and right. his youth is another really important factor there. He, you know, getting at bats for him is, is only going to help him. There, there are some risks, obviously, and we're weighing those with him and want to make sure that we're supportive so that we can help him manage those risks as well. Uh, finally, Ross, because of the times we're in, and thankfully, we've just been able to talk baseball here for the last 15 minutes and maybe ignore some other things. But uh, the winter meetings are next week. Normally, it would be someplace elaborate, and Jamie Campbell would have a desk, and Arash would be down there with Shy, and we'd do the whole Sportsnet show would go down there. It's going to be <laughs> yeah. virtual. It's going to be virtual. I wish we were there. Yeah, wish we were there. I wish we could see those really sketchy dudes in the background trying to get in the MLB Network shot in the lobby, just the traditions <laughs> of winter meetings. Um, how much will this affect how much business you do doing it virtually? Do you th- or do you think it'll be the same as it ever was? Yeah, no. Well, it's not the same as it ever was, but I'm very grateful that I've been in the game for a while and that we have the resources that we do have. I think it would be really difficult if um, you had less experience or you have your relationships weren't as strong as they were. And it, it's not that, you know, it's like anything else, like doing something for the first time. I'm glad this will be the fifth off season that, you know, that we understand the rhythms together other teams understand how we operate. We have different levels of trust with different agencies and have earned the, um, <clears throat> some of that over the years. So that makes it feel like we'll be able to do the business. We'll be able to, that we need to do. And it's not saying that the teams that don't have those things can't, uh, but that makes me feel better about being able to execute the business we need to do. Um, lastly, Ross, now that the non-tender deadline is done, it passed at 8 p.m. Eastern last night, and the full free agent field is known, when do you expect business to pick up league-wide here? What's, what's your gut telling you? 
Well, it feels like it just shifted a bit with that. And, there, you know, I, I, I think that the natural rhythms, people, uh, the, the bigger free agents and the, the, the agencies that have are the bigger free agents, you can right. look over historically the winter meetings is typically when offers have occurred and deals start to, to pick up a bit. And I would expect that I, it feels like that could be the case. I don't know if it will be, but it, it feels like it could be, and we're prepared for that. Uh, Ross, as always, uh, I don't have to say this to you, but I, I, I feel like I do. I appreciate your time. Arash appreciates your time. And uh, we look forward to what the next uh, weeks and months hold. It could be fun. So all the best to you, man. appreciate it. Thanks, Sid. Thanks, Arash. Thanks for having me on, guys. There's Ross Atkins, GM of the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, and I'm kind of I, – I, I, I agree with his last sentiment about this, this non-tender deadline and now things are starting to go. Because you – listen, Arash, we thought Chris Bryant of the Cubs might be a guy. Mm-hmm. who was non-tender last night. Now, it didn't happen, but um, you, you, now that we know the field, and by the way, Kyle Schwarber, Kyle, forgive me, my phone's ringing. Kyle Schwarber, uh, non-tender by the you. Cubs. I don't know, Who's is it George Springer's, George Springer's agent? Yeah, I don't George know, I should Springer's check it out. Agent, right. George Springer's agent? Um, <laughs> like Are Kyle you Schwarber? negotiating an extension? <laughs> no, 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 nothing no, like I, that. Nothing like that. It's a long-distance number. I'm someone from some other countries calling me. But Kyle Schwarber was non-tendered last night. And Kyle Schwarber was not put in the Araldus Chapman trade back in the day where the Cubs are like, no, you can have this Glaber Torres guy. We're going to keep Kyle Schwarber. Glaber Torres, he can hit. <laughs> he can hit. And they just non-tendered him. So Kyle Schwarber is a free agent. Kyle Schwarber hit 38 home runs in 2019, played 155 games. He dipped last year, but it's 60-something games. It's nothing. Like, can, are you really going to? You're going you're gonna to pin your decisions on a weird 60-game stretch? I don't know. There's, there's a lot of interesting names out there. And um, I think if the Jays have some of the coin that we think they do, they're in play because the market's not going to be crazy. You can, I mean, the George Springers of the world are going to get theirs, but everyone else? Trevor Bauer's going to get his, but everyone else? I don't know, Rash. I don't know. Here's what I know, Sid. 20 years ago, if somebody was calling long distance, you would have left your chair and went and answered the call. It wouldn't matter if you oh were on the air God. or not. Remember if you got a long distance beep on your landline? Just what? Oh, I'm sorry. It's a long distance beep. I got to go. Yeah. Okay. Bye. I got a a call when when Sidney Crosby scored the goal, the golden goal in Vancouver. Mm. I got a phone call from Liverpool like two seconds later. And I'm like, hello? And he's like, Rick? I'm like, no, it's not Rick. And and we both paused and he's like, oh. He goes, we won the gold. Like it was a Canadian fan <laughs> in England looking for his buddy Rick in 2010. And it just so happened to fall. It was just, it was kind of funny. Uh, thank you again to Ross. And, I guess you uh, had to be there. You had to be. Well, I liked it. <laughs> right. It's not, my, it's not my, they brought me a strange person and I conducted an interview story like earlier in the show. It's not that there good, Arash. But I was waiting but for I that. tried. I tried. Uh, we're going to step aside. We still got to talk about Russell Westbrook getting traded to the Wiz. Mm. For John Wall and a conditional first, what does this mean for James Harden? And Alfonso Davies was voted male Canadian soccer player of the year. No kidding. I'm still trying to find out if it was unanimous. If this was not a unanimous vote, I am going to lose my mind. All due respect to Jonathan David, somebody out there who knows. I've been looking all day. I can't find it. Send me the results. I, I demand to know. If there was someone who didn't vote for Alfonso Davies to be male Canadian soccer player of the year in 2020, I would like to know. Those topics and many more, plus Brian Burke and Dan Schulman next. This is Tim and Sid.
with a rash, live on TV and radio. So, Arash, we're uh, we're living in a sports world where two forty million dollar a year players get traded for each other, and it's like it's, just, it's no big deal, right? No big deal. John Wall and a protected first going to Houston. Russell Westbrook, former MVP, average a triple double, reuniting with Scott Brooks in Washington. Uh, who wins this deal? A and B. What does this mean for potential James Harden move to I don't know Brooklyn? What are your thoughts on both? Well, right away, Washington wins this deal. Russell Westbrook is an immediate impact player. John Wall hasn't played for the Wizards in two seasons. Westbrook and Bradley Beal together make Washington a playoff team. Westbrook and Scott Brooks reunite. Scott Brooks and Russell Westbrook, don't forget, Sid, had a terrific relationship in Oklahoma City. Our man Kendrick Perkins was on ESPN saying those two were in lockstep. They respect one another and Westbrook would actually listen to Scott Brooks. So right away, that's a win for Washington. Maybe getting into the playoffs is enough to keep Bradley Beal around D.C. So that that is a huge move for Washington. At this point, I look at the Houston situation, and I wonder if they're just starting over. It, it, Harden doesn't want to be there. Bringing in John Wall isn't enough, in my mind, for James Harden to say, this is the situation I want to remain in. The Rockets are not going to win. And so, to me, at this point, it's about what can, how much can Houston get for James Harden? See, I I was with you. I I didn't, when I saw the trade last night, I thought to myself, that's really James Harden's now going to stay? But Adrian Wojnarowski, I was listening to him today, Arash, and he was basically saying this, they, they kind of asked James Harden if he was good with this. Like, would he want to play with John Wall? Would, would he like to see that exchange? And it sounded like Harden, this was kind of his idea, which blew me away. Now, I'm not saying there won't be another subsequent deal. Daryl Morey is gone. Mike D'Antoni is gone. There, there are reasons these guys have left. Mm-hmm. There, there is, there is a, a, a center to it all. And when you, when you saw Russell Westbrook make the request, you, you, it was easy to figure out what it was, that James Harden eventually was going to go probably to Brooklyn. Um, he does have two years left on this deal. That's right. Raphael Stone, uh, the new GM, does not technically have to do this. He'll lose a little value if you wait the year. I don't know how much, especially if he just has another MVP-ish season, top three in voting. So uh, I, I, I don't know where we stand with James Harden or Ash, but... I still, I still find it very difficult to believe that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving behind the scenes aren't doing everything they possibly can to make this happen. Like How I do don't you fit him. How do you fit him? Harden's Harden's AAV is forty four million dollars through twenty twenty three. Fake trade time. Fake trade time. This was pitched okay. earlier today. Fake trade time. Brooklyn, Houston. Harden goes to Brooklyn. Arash. How do the Nets make this work? What pieces move? Go. I don't see Brooklyn happening. You know the team oh. I see the team I see happening? Oh. Golden State. I was oh. chopping this up with my pal Bagshaw last night. Check this out, guys. Let's roll this board. Don't forget that Golden State owns Minnesota's first round pick because they took on Andrew Wiggins. That is a pick that's going to be a top five, top six pick. It's only protected top three overall. So suddenly, when you put Kelly Oubre 
and Andrew Wiggins to Houston, you can get a one for Kelly Oubre. Suddenly you, if you're Houston, you can get yourself three first-round picks. It is a killer draft coming up in 2021, and the salaries, Wiggins and Oubre, are basically $45 million. It matches with Harden. That's And no Clay Thompson. Suddenly James Harden can step in with Steph and with Draymond. And, and, and get all that usage, yeah, and get all the time. Two things. One, we need that. I don't recognize this Arash in the headshot. For those who are listening, this is a different person. There is a new Arash Madani. I don't recognize this imposter on this board. Secondly, this trade is way better than mine because I stuck with Brooklyn. Right. I had like a Karis Levert, Torian Prince, Spencer Dinwiddie, two firsts going the other way. Assuming you want to match the money, assuming like Jared Allen doesn't go, you keep Jared Allen. I like Jared Allen. He's 22. My, my trade wasn't as sexy. So Arash wins. I thought we were just doing Brooklyn. Damn it. Should have, should have thought outside the box. I like your trade better. That's, yeah. if, I'm, if I'm Houston, that's really enticing for me. I think about that. Shout uh, out to my com- pal Bagshaw, fellow Bishops alum, by the way. All right. Shout out, Bishops. Coming up, Brian Burke, Dan Shulman, and a shout out to Alfonso Davies, maybe the greatest Canadian soccer player I've ever seen in my life. More Tim and Sid and Arash after this. Time for Tim and Sid. Time for Tim and Sid. It's time for Real Sports Talk with Tim McAuliffe and Sid Sexero. Thank you very much, Sheepdogs. Or Ashman Danny in for the vacationing Tim McAuliffe, getting some well-deserved time off. Brian Burke in about five minutes. Dan Shulman will join us. Dan Shulman is entering the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame in the media wing. We'll find out if he goes to Cooperstown. Uh, coming up this Wednesday as he's up for the Ford C. Frick Award. Uh, Arash, forgive me because I haven't pulled up the release. Apparently there is some breaking news this hour regarding the uh, hopefully upcoming World Junior Hockey Championship in Edmonton. What do you got? Yeah, Alexis Lafreniere, the number one overall pick, the New York Rangers, will not be playing for Team Canada. The Rangers want to keep him in the mix over there. makes a lot of sense. But, Sid, Team Canada is quarantined right now. They are not practicing. Correct. They are locked in. It's, it's the 3rd of December. Time is running out on this tournament. I'm, I'm more and more skeptical by the minute that this tournament is even going to happen. The Finnish Hockey Federation has shut things down um, overseas. How responsible is it for the United States to be coming in and teams from abroad to be coming in, especially with the state of COVID in this country, in the U.S. State of COVID in Alberta. And in the province of Alberta. There's field hospitals, I'm not making this up, rolling into Alberta. Listen, everyone's getting it right now. But when I see field hospitals, that's that's another level to me. And just do the math. Just do the math on how many days it's going to take for all of this to shake down there is there is next to no wiggle room whatsoever um for this for this tournament to be happening and teams look, have to listen, come in, I, teams I, have to come in, in quarantine for two they weeks gotta, these nine other teams they got to come in like soon right we're talking we're talking boxing day we're so talking boxing even day earlier it starts right? no like, so what you gonna give five six days for exhibition games and practices yeah, I, it's it's already pretty tight. No, you're right. Like it's very very tight, and that it's been kind of it's been the quiet story, right? Because no one in this country really. And just so just so everyone's clear, because I know where I work, I would love nothing more 
than to watch Button and all those amazing guys over there do that tournament. Nothing. I, I, as a sports fan in this country, I think most people are on the same page. I am rooting heavily for the World Junior Hockey Championships to go on because I love sports, first and foremost. But this is you – you, you now have – I'll be watching with, three football games on Boxing Day, but I, I hear you. I, I, I do miss some hockey. Mm-hmm. If two nations mess up here, Rash, Hockey Canada were as, co- as, as cautious as you could possibly be. This thing snuck in in an instant. And no one can do anything now until December 7th. The kids are literally locked. I don't know if you know this. I know you know this, arrest. Maybe people at home. They're locked in their rooms. This is the quarantine they're in, in Red Deer. They can't leave their rooms. Room service, video games, poker tournaments, rock, paper, scissors, Zoom tournaments. That's what some of the best young hockey players in the world have been doing and will continue to do till December 7th. Some may be watching this right now. Shout out to you. Hope Let's you can pass it. the time. Let's do it. Rock, paper, Let's scissors. Go. Let's go. Rock, paper, scissors? Right, hold on. Yeah. Hold on. Hold on. Three, three, two, one. One, two. <laughs> You're such a cheater. On a and delay. I still beat you. Delay. I'm not you, a you cheater. You cheated and I still you, beat you. You asked You're me unbelievable. to do rock, paper, scissors on a delay. How dare you, Madani? How dare you? I've How enjoyed did this week you lose on a delay when you were cheating? Guys, we're going to re-rack that last block. I want to see that back again. The delay was insane. I got two feet and the ball. The ball didn't move, and I made a football play, and I still beat you. All right. Well, we'll 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 figure this out a little later because Brian okay. Burke's on the line, and any more delays with Berkey, and he'll have my ass. Brian Burke All joining right. us. Berkey, it's been too long. I hope the break was good. Uh, I wish we had better things to talk about here. But how are you? How are things? Good. Everything's good. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. No, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Uh, yeah, we, uh, let, let's start with the World Juniors. We're, we're Rash and I. We'll, we'll blow through the rock paper, si- rock paper scissors discussion. World Juniors. Are you are you getting more skeptical by the day here? I mean, we're all skeptical about a lot of things. I realize that, but the World Juniors specifically, they're they, they're they're they don't have a lot of room for error here anymore, do they? No, but I I think they're going to exhaust every single opportunity to play, and no doubt. I mean, that's a, a major tournament. That's a, a, a milestone for a young player who. A famous young player, like a, a top Canadian kid or a top Swiss kid, like that's a, a memory that you'll never, ever, ever forget. So, I, I exhaust all the remedies. See if you can play. See if there's any way you can humanly play this tournament. I like what they're doing. Brian, if you're a GM of a team, especially in COVID right now, and if you're drafting top five, top ten, even a first round pick, would you let him go? to the World Juniors right now? Or do you want to keep him under lock and key in your own facility based on everything going on in the world? No. uh, My kids all played. And not just the World Junior, World Championships. I believe best-on-best tournaments like like the, the, the World Junior Championships are such a formative such an important, uh, like a mold for a kid. To, it's a short tournament. It's important to win. You got to play your best. You got to, you got to get in tight with teammates in a short time. Like all those leadership lessons you get, that team effort you get, are so valuable. So I would make. I'd say, guys, you're going. You're going to the tournament. I remember one year, uh, Eddie Jovanovski might remember this differently, but I don't think so. He and Tom Bertuzzi went the same year, I think. And they were both banged up. You know, they're both physical players. They're both banged up. And I said, "Look, you're going. Uh, if I have to come to your house and drive you to the airport, you're going." And they both went and came back and said it was the best experience they ever had. Then Eddie went on to play the Olympics in Salt Lake City. So to me, these tournaments have great value for young players. So yes, I'd make them all go. 
Brian Burke here on Tim and Sid. Can you what do you read, Brian, into the Rangers' decision? I know you're not in that room. It's it's impossible for you to know. But what can we take anything from that news that was just released that Alexei Lafreniere won't be going to Red Deer in Edmonton in terms of the NHL's future? Is there any? Is there there? Is there a there there? Do you think? No, I I, I don't get it. Uh, Jeff Gordon's a friend of mine. I love him. I think I think it's incredibly short sighted. Um, as I said, like the Crucible. Just imagine, like, okay, so you guys, I don't know how good of athletes you were as kids, but I was never a guy, I would have never got picked (laughs) to play in a tournament like this. I would have pulled my front teeth out to play in this tournament. And and what the lessons you learn and the crucible that this becomes, where you jam in these guys, okay, 20 strangers, 20 Canadian kids, and we have to form a team and identify leadership groups and beat these other great teams. Like, I think it has great, great, great value. Like, value that will go on for decades with this kid. I don't get it. So, Jeff Gordon's a friend of mine. It's his player. He can do what he wants. I don't get it. Brian, let's talk NHL. What are you hearing on when camps may start and when a season may begin? Well, you know what, my friend? I'm skeptical (laughs) and nervous for the first time. Wow. Really? Like I, I, really? I, I think we, we absolutely need to play. Like, people forget Canada. Like, the sport will come back. We get a vaccine. We get back on our calendar. We're all good. Yeah. But I worry about some of the markets. The unemployment rates in some U.S. states are so high. The COVID rates are so high. I worry about our ability to bounce back. I think we have to play. And I'm nervous for the first time because, like, I've disputed these figures right from the start. Like, you guys know this. I think it's easy to second-guess things in the media. And I've never respected people who did it at their leisure. We've tried to call all this stuff in real time. And I said back in April, the players are going to have to take a 45% rollback. And now they're like, oh, we'll do a 20% cap on escrow and a 10% deferral. I'm like, that ain't going to do it, guys. Escrow is going to be at 50%. Like, these numbers don't work. And when they made the memorandum of understanding in March, they were like, okay, and I said at the time, these numbers don't work. Like, they're 50-50 partners. And this is not a classic collective bargaining case. They have a deal. They're 50-50 partners. Now, if the owners lose 50% of their revenues, which they have, the players are going to have to take a bigger haircut. Like, I don't get it. I don't get why this isn't obvious to everybody. And now it's become, oh, well, you sucked us in in March. You sign this MOU, and now four months later, you want to rip it up. I'm like, four months later, the math is different, guys, and they've got a force majeure clause. Understand this. The owners have the right to not play, and then players don't get any money, zero. So to me, it's like the Billy Preston song, nothing from nothing leaves nothing. You are better off playing and getting a percentage of your salaries than not playing, and that's going to be the choice that's forced on the owners here, which I think is a catastrophe. Brian, have it, Brian Burke here on Tim and Sid. Brian, having dealt with so many owners and understanding it from a league standpoint and as a, as a team executive, Elliot was on with us yesterday. He said he's her, he has heard upwards of 10 to 12 owners are fine not playing, would maybe even prefer not to play. What does that mean? Well, first off, just so people know, because... It's funny. People ask me, do I like Elliot? And we seem to have some tension on the air where we take well, shots. Well, I think we can figure other. it out. Yeah. I don't think I love the guy. Whatever. Oh, okay. I love the guy. And I, I think that. he's brilliant. 
and and people talk to him. When Elliot talks, he is speaking to owners that like. There's no idle talk with Elliot when he goes out it's there. It's informed, and says, sourced speaking. There's no question. Exactly. He's Absolutely. getting whispered. He's getting whispered right into his ear. I've talked to a couple owners who clearly do not want to play. Now, will, will they play if, if Gary says it's what we need to do for the league and for our broadcast partners and all that? Yeah, they, they will. But Elliot's right. Like, like my information, I've confirmed this independently. I'm not an insider like Elliot, but I have. Talk, I had a GM sit across from me, five feet away from me, and say, if we play, we'll lose $60 million. If we don't play, we'll lose fifteen. Now, I got news for you guys. You don't have to be a math expert to figure that one out. Which is a better outcome for that owner? You don't really need to have a lot of math skills to figure out 60 versus 15. Yeah, I think I can. 15 is probably better. So this is a real problem. And, and like I say, I don't, I don't understand why this is hard. Like, you're 50-50. And yes, you've got your MOU. You say, oh, you signed the MOU in March, and now you want to renegotiate the deal. Yes. Yes, because you're a 50-50 partner. It's not renegotiation. But Berkey, it's recalculating. Berkey, you are a graduate of Harvard Law School. I'd like to remind the listening and the viewing audience. We are on the line with a smart cookie, okay? And if and, you, and and a Rhodes Scholarship finalist, by the way. Okay, no need to by show the way, off. By I, the way, I was it good took enough me at five Harvard years. Law, whatever. It took me five years to do undergrad at Bishop's University. <laughs> so, okay, so you guys, both of you can just back off. Whatever, two years Radio Humber, suck it. Yeah. Uh, Berkey, my main point here is you, let's say Brian Burke was not in hockey and was practicing at the law firm of Burke and Gambino and Gambino, okay? You are a practicing lawyer. Someone walks into your office and says, Berkey, I signed a contract with this person five months ago but the rules around it are, quote, no longer applicable, end quote. Can I get out of it? How long before you laugh that person out of your office? How long? I'll tell you how long. Show me the document, because you know what the document contains? A force majeure clause that says the league has the right to not play. You don't think so the league's bluffing what? on that? You don't think the no, they're not. I, don't, I saw a copy of the document. No, I'm not saying it's not there. I'm just saying as a tool to scare, as a tool <laughs> no, to intimidate. It's a tool to scare. No. We're, we're days away. Like, we're going to run out of time here. It's not time to scare anybody. Jesus, Murphy, look, you, you can't. You look at the numbers. I said this in April. The players are looking at a 45% wage rollback. I said this in April. I don't know why it's not obvious today. And they're saying, oh. You're renegotiating. You signed the deal on March 10th, and, and these agents are all popping off. I'm like, hang on, guys. I have seen a copy of that. Not, I haven't seen the whole deal, but I saw a copy of that clause, which is the force majeure clause. The league retained the right to not play. So they can argue all they want. Oh, you're renegotiating. You're renegotiating. You're, you're, you're doing this. You're doing that. The fact is they can say, we're shutting her down, boys. We're shutting her down. We're not playing at all. They have that right. The union gave them that right. So this is not idle talk. We are at the precipice here. We're on a cliff. And the players are going to have to decide if they want to play or not. Brian, which of the Gambinos that you have the law firm with speaks <laughs> like that? Which of them has that cadence in their voice? I would say it's Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe. Remember the three there students? Yes, their law firm was yes, Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe. Yes, go. Berkey. The one and only Brian go. Burke here with the Rash McDaniel Sitzik Star. Rash, go ahead. So, Brian, look, you're, 
you're worrisome, you're skeptical. How does this get sorted? Well, what you hope is at some point, you hope someone steps up in front of the, of the mob and says, guys, here are the options. The options are we don't play or we take a, a deeper pay cut. And so to me, if I'm making five million, say I'm Morgan Riley, I think he makes around five, I've got to prorate my salary. So here's here's the thing. They're not talking about playing eighty games. You're not talking about the same value. It's okay, Arash, I'm gonna pay you five million dollars for eighty games, but now we're only playing sixty. Can you take a pay cut? No. It's like, well yeah, you should. So it's proration. It's no fans. It's a just, and hopefully cooler heads will prevail. We will play. Players will take a larger pay cut. If they can defer some of that, that's great. I love the, the notion that the NHL could maybe turn that U.S. TV deal into something. It'll be a flat cap for seven years, though, boys. Okay, I, I'm in favor of anything. It, I don't want the players to take that whole haircut, but the position they're taking now is, in my mind, absurd. It's illogical. It's indefensible. In front of you, pick any jury, the most pro-labor jury in Canada, and really? I'll win this case. Berkey, I'm blown away by that. I mean, I just, I, I under, you were right. This, this story's moving by the day. I get it. I understand. We're all living in it, and we're all in the same place, basically. But to, for for ownership to say five months ago they assumed arenas would be filled by January 1st is folly. You were saying it. It's complete folly. And to suggest, well, things have changed to that extent. I would challenge that. I would because say because everybody knew, knew a second knew, wave was and coming. We all knew, but we okay, all knew it second. would still be really dicey to get fans in arenas for that revenue by at least late January. Never mind January first. Okay, hang on, on. And you say, what, on. what do you say? Things have changed. Nothing's changed. The circumstances have gotten worse, but the deal was fifty-fifty. It's not like right. they said to the players, "Here's the deal." You take a 20% cap on escrow and a 10% deferral, and that's that. There's still 50-50 partners. That was on March 10th or whatever the date was. Here's what we estimate the pie is going to be like. Here's how we'll split it up. Now it's very different. And so you can say it's only four months different, five. Maybe they were absurd assumptions. But guess what? You're a 50-50 partner. You can't say we didn't know. You can't say we're going to ignore the fact that conditions are worse. You're a 50-50 partner. It's not like making a new deal where I say to you, hey, Sid, you know that deal we made? I really don't like that deal, so we're going to make a new deal. It's not that. What I'm saying is I'm enforcing the 50-50, and you are taking a bigger pay cut. So people may not like it. They may not like the optics. It may smell funny to people, but the fact is they're in an economic system where they're 50-50 partners, and they're going to have to find a way to make this work. They're going to owe the owners so much money. If they insist on this deal, they're going to owe the owners $600 million at the end of the season. Which means, which means, and to, to the layman's hockey fan, which means the cap stays where it is, if not goes down for the next how many years? If, like, how would yeah. that work? Flat for seven years, like a long flat. time. Yeah. You're gonna you're gonna baptize kids that aren't born yet. You're gonna have confirmations for kids that aren't born yet on this deal with a flat cap. And so at some point you say, okay, we don't want to owe the owners eight hundred million dollars. Let's all. And, and the other thing too is they're trying to shift this burden onto future classes, right? They're trying to say, well, we'll repay some of this money in four years. Well, guess what? There's three to four new guys on a team every year. So they're trying to shift this burden this economic burden, onto players who aren't even in the league yet. That's not fair.
Yeah. Brian Burke here on Tim and Sid. Um, I, I, there's so much there, Berkey. You're, you've been fantastic with us. But I do. you mentioned Elliot and how good he is. So let's, let's end it this way because he did throw out something earlier this afternoon. And I'll just read the Fridge tweet. Uh, Fridge wrote, I'm not sure if it's possible. Odds are against it. But four NHL teams are looking to the possibility of playing home games outdoors. Can't fault anyone for considering their options. Fridge in the, in the column goes on to say it's Boston, based on his reporting, Pittsburgh, the Kings in Anaheim, and the Kings do have ownership of, of an MLS stadium, which could potentially work. Berkey, if we're talking, I mean, earlier you were talking about owners saying, here's, here's what we lose if we play, here's what we lose if we don't play. What would it cost to put on an outdoor game? In reference, okay. in, in, for, in the context of this economic situation, we're in. okay. I want to come back though before we leave this. Said okay. you're spouting this pro-union argument about I'm not. four months. Yes, I'm you not. are. I'm not. I'm not. Yes, I'm just you are. saying. I, I don't want to. I want. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. You're spouting this pro-union. Oh, four months ago, it's absurd to assume this, and, and I don't want you giving hope to a group that's going to get stepped on hard if they don't come around. In my view. My view is that the owners have the last say on this because they've got the force majeure clause. We should all be looking for solutions now, not trying to win an argument that it's absurd that they thought there would be full building. You might be right, but winning an argument right now is not the key. We need solutions. Now, outdoor games? Yes. Elliot is brilliant. They've clearly discussed this. I agree with everything. You can all throw it right in the trash. That's not a viable option for anything. <laughs> the reason outdoor games are successful is they're novelty items. They're one at once in a million. I played the first big game that I played in was Team USA in the World Championships. We played in Schalke's soccer stadium, 76,000 oh, fans. It was a record at the time. And, and, and it was a big deal. It was a really cool thing. Um, forget it. It's not a viable option. People are not going to go to four outdoor games. They like going to one. It's not a viable option, but everyone's turning over every stone. So Elliot's right, but forget it. Just throw it out. Brian, let's go back to the force majeure clause real quick. And let's go back to what Elliot mentioned. If 10 or 12 owners become 15 or 20 owners, if hockey doesn't get played this season, and Gary yesterday came out, the commissioner of the National Hockey League told Sports Business Journal, we expect it to be all systems go for the 2021-2022 season. Effectively, by fall of 2021, we expect quote-unquote normalcy. What happens? Do players just not get do players not get paid for this upcoming season and then it's business as usual or what kind of financial impact could there be down the road if there is not a season this year? Okay, so my prediction is they the contracts toll so they lose a year. The players don't get paid and they lose a year. So that season is gone now. So if you're on a 5-year deal, you're on a 4-year deal going forward. And there's going to be pay cuts going into the next season. You're not going to have full buildings at the same ticket prices. There's going to be a pay cut going forward. But hopefully back to some semblance of normalcy. But you lose the year, you don't get paid, and you lose that contract year. So if you're Alex Petrangelo, you just signed a seven-year deal, you got six years left, pal. you got six years. One year is gone. And that's going to be the league's position, and I think it'll be the right position that they, they've lost a year, and we're not carrying these contracts forward. They're, they're tolling a year. We're taking a year off. I think it's a disaster. We have to figure out a way to play. Oh, I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Like, it's, um, I think we're all on the same page there. 
Got to play. Well, <laughs> Got to well, play. Well, quit preaching the union. I'm just saying I, I understand why some <laughs> players are upset over this development. I understand your points, but I do understand others out there. And I, for the record, I think the players have been pretty restrained here. I haven't seen many, unless I'm missing something. Irrational, unless I'm missing something oh, yeah. in terms of oh, tweeting oh, okay. and whatnot. Okay, by, by the way, they have been restrained. You know why? Can you imagine the first guy that says, I want to get paid for 80 games even though I'm playing 60, and I refuse to take a pay cut even though my owner is going to lose half his revenues. I insist on getting my paycheck. That's why they've been muted, because it's absurd, and it's offensive. Just don't offensive. do it on Twitch. Just don't do it on Twitch. Yeah, don't do it on Twitch or TikTok. Uh, uh, two tweets, uh, Berkey, before... We'll let you go. Adrian tweeted in, uh, Brian Burke quoting Billy Preston lyrics just blew my mind. That was earlier in the segment. <laughs> and uh, Sandra at Tim and Sid, who's, who's a devoted uh, listener and viewer, and we love her, says, I love listening to Brian Burke on Tim and Sid. When he yells, Jesus Murphy, he sounds just like my mom with a deeper voice. So, Sandra, thank you very much for that. <laughs> Berkey, uh, let's do this again, friend. Thanks, guys. Take care. One and only Brian See Burke uh, here on Tim and Sid. Uh, Berkey was fantastic today, and there was a lot. To, there was there was a bit more to that segment than I thought, especially with the World Junior stuff off the front. That was great. Um, anything before we uh, last last word to you, uh, Mr. Bedani, before we get to Dan Schilman. Go ahead. The the force majeure thing is really interesting, and it is. And, and hearing Brian say that, I because two days ago, Chris Johnson said he heard what was it. Six, seven, eight owners. He went were... up to nine. I, I thought I, I thought I remember CJ on on Central saying nine up to. And nine. then the next day, yeah. Elliot Friedman saying ten or twelve. The way Brian was talking there, he's talking to people who are. Mm-hmm. Now look, the owners are also going to say we're losing sixty million dollars if we play. What else are they going to say? But the posturing, the the floating of information has already started. If I'm the National Hockey League Players Association, I better start coming up with a public strategy right now. Because because okay. already the owners are are floating it out there of they're trying to create a narrative and they're trying to control the narrative. Now the players have to step in and and return serve. Agreed. Great point. We're gonna take a break. One and only Dan Schulman next here on Tim and Sid with a rash live on TV and radio. All right, it's time for your weekly Dan Schulman Hall of Fame update. The Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame awarded Mr. Schulman this week. I was waiting for that giggle. Awarded Mr. Schulman this week the Jack Graney Award for work in media and baseball in this country. And again, uh, this coming Wednesday, uh, Dan is up for the Ford C. Frick Award in Cooperstown. Uh, it is a huge honor just to be nominated. Mr. Schulman of Sportsnet joining us. Dan, well, were, did you get a heads Unlike the Ford C. Frick, did you get a heads up about the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame announcement this week, or is everyone just going to blindside you and give you a minor heart attack all the time? <laughs> uh, no, I did. I did get a heads up on this one. By the way, I, I, the last couple days I've been Googling the Bald Hall of Fame because I figure I've got to be a shoe in it somewhere <laughs> to get into that one. So, but. <laughs> Shulman, I'm looking up the uh, Actuarial Science Society Hall of Fame, and, and such a thing they actually exists. Me, yeah. They well, I might have disowned them. I can't. One of the two. But, Arlington, um, Virginia I, is calling. Oh, uh, I did get a heads up. Um, I got a call from uh, Scott Crawford, who is the director of operations of the Baseball Hall of Fame, I think on Friday, I believe, um, telling me about it. And But again, didn't know 
when during the year they announced this. Uh, you know, so but I, I did get a, a call before, like I saw it on Twitter, like the the Fort Frick thing. So uh, it was a very nice phone call. I'm deeply honored, and you know, it's one of those things where you go and look at the other winners, right? And and I see Dave Van Horn, and I see Tom Cheek, and I see Jerry Howard, and Bob Elliott, and Jeff Blair, and Ernie Harwell. And, uh, it's it, it's it's humbling. I, I feel uh, I feel very happy about it. What did uh, mom and dad have to say about this one? Mom and dad, um, you know, 26 years ago when I went to mom and dad and said, hey, have it, can I give this radio thing a try and see if it works out? And mom and dad are listening <laughs> right now, by the way, okay. because they texted me and said, when are you going to be on with Tim and Sid? No offense, Rash, they didn't know you were on. They love okay. you just as much, but they didn't know. No problem. So I know they're listening, but 26 years ago, they were nervous about it. They didn't try to talk me out of it, but I wouldn't say they were totally supportive because, like, I had this actuarial thing and I was going to make a nice living and it would be fine, and um, they were nervous about it. But they've, they're they slowly coming around. They're slowly warming right. up to the idea that, that this is going to be okay. But they're, um, they're very, very happy. And as you know, well, Sid, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Like, they love you guys just for you, but because you say nice things about their son, now they really love you guys. We're and, in the family. And I've well, already, we're on a rare yeah, showman. Are you kidding? Right. And I, I promised that once uh, the pandemic is over, like, uh, the, the chocolate cake's coming in. My mother, Let's which go. is really my grandmother's recipe, but the big chocolate Let's cake go. is coming in. We'll eat it on the air. It's awesome. So, I, um, I, I don't need my arm twisted to eat chocolate cake live on air. I will. <laughs> I believe it's in my contract, Dan. I believe it's in my yeah. contract. Uh, and, and all the best to the Shulman family who are listening, Mom and Dad. I uh, really appreciate you. Uh, Dan, since we're on the broadcasting thing, I want to get to some other things, including uh, some, uh, some cool moments from um, West Virginia Gonzaga last night that you were calling. Um, was there any point in your broadcasting career where you questioned the decision or something wasn't going right? Because you're, you and my memory have always been polished to perfect. I can never remember a – and I'm not messing with you. I can never remember a Dan Shulman moment, regardless of where your hairline was, where you weren't a phenomenal on-mic broadcaster. Was there a moment where you, even briefly, second-guessed yourself? Not second-guessed, but there have been moments where I said, why did you say that? You you know, I mean, I've had moments, and and I'll, I'll tell you about one, and this is my least favorite moment of my career. Um, I was doing hockey way, way, way back in the day in the 90s. And, and I didn't do a lot of hockey, but I certainly was a big hockey fan. I just hadn't done a ton of hockey. And it was a Leaf game. I think it was my first ever Leaf game that I was doing. Um, and the Leafs pulled the goalie. They were down one, and they pulled the goalie. And I just – I don't know what happened to me. I just had a brain cramp. And um, it, it just didn't compute. And I'm, like, seeing six skaters, and I just – I blew it. I just – I just, I don't know what happened. And, and I, I, I walked out of the booth that day and I said, you're never going to live this down and you're never going to like yourself as a human being ever again. <laughs> and, and that's how you feel that. sometimes. People yeah, might yeah, laugh at that. That's, that's how, how you feel sometimes when you're as self-conscious as the three yeah. of us are. Yeah. So what turned yeah. in, what happened to your career from there, Shulman? I lost track. <laughs> all the hall of fames kept calling yeah. sorry dan you dan leaf game at the three letter or on the fan yes forgive yeah, me yeah yeah, yeah. at the three letter yes three yes. letter so uh, yes i've never done hockey on the radio other than back at western so um and it, it was a big deal like to do my i think it was my first leaf game i, I did maybe 
I was like the, you know, the C hockey guy there because they had guys, right? But they were yeah. looking for something for me to do in the winter when I wasn't doing baseball. This was in a very brief period before I started doing ESPN stuff in the winter. So it might have been like 96 or something. So I, I, I might have done 20 games. I did a lot of junior hockey for them, actually. Like I've been to Three Rivers and Drummondville and Kamloops and Brandon. I've been to all those places. Like nobody remembers but me. But, but <laughs> you know, there was like, like all of us. Like all of us, we started somewhere, right? And that's, you know, and, and, and you do a lot of that stuff. So, yeah, I had a couple of moments like that. I never had a moment where I said this was a mistake career-wise or anything like that. I'll, I'll tell you another thing, too, because, um, you know, and, and you guys know this, it's not all, you know, uh, puppy dogs and rainbows. And, and I, I was working at ESPN and was kind of climbing the ladder in college basketball. Um, and I work, you know, we have a lot of, excuse me, a lot of guys because we have a lot of games. And I was maybe like the number five guy or something like that. And then we got a new boss. And uh, in our business, and you guys can relate to this, you're, you're only as good as your current boss thinks you are, right? Mm-hmm. And, and a new boss came in, and he just for what he had a guy that he liked, and I wasn't that guy. And he called me up, and he said, I'm taking you off Big Mondays, and I'm taking you off the Big East Tournament. Uh, and again, nobody remembers this but me, and, and but I was crushed, absolutely crushed. And I kept trying to find out why, and he could, he would never give me a straight answer. And the why was, I just wasn't his guy. He had a guy, and and so I had a year where I got like severely demoted, and I was doing, and it's fine, but I was, I, and I kept saying, what do I need to do better? Tell me. And he didn't have an answer for me. And then a year later, they fired him for some other reason, and ESPN got the NBA, and the top three or four college guys went to do the NBA, and the new college basketball boss liked me, and he called me up and he said, do you want to work with Vital? And, like, that happened. I, <laughs> so I went from, like, mid-level guy to low-level guy to Vital guy in, like, 18 months. And, and again, you guys know this. People listening don't. They're this can be an emotional roller coaster of an industry, right? Because just because. So, uh, but no, I've never questioned getting into it. But to answer your question, sure, there there are always ups and downs. What's your best Vitel story, Shulman? Oh my well, god! I can't tell it. I can't tell it. Up there, <laughs> what a okay, what's your What's your twenty eighth best Vitel story? Okay. I'll, I'll tell you a quick one. So we're doing a game at Michigan State. It's like a nine thirty start. Say it's a Tuesday, and, and he and I have a Thursday game. Say at Kentucky. So he would say to me, like, what do you go home for? Come down to Sarasota just like because he charters everywhere, right? So so he would say, get on the plane, come down to Sarasota, sleep in my house. Why do you go to go to Canada for? He always said Canada like it was, you know, Reykjavik, like, like it was on the, you know. <laughs> what do you got to go to Canada for? And I would right. say, Dick, like we're at Michigan State. That's Canada yeah. right there, you know. But So I, I get on the plane with him. At, so the game's 9.30. We finish 11.45. We're at the airport 12.15. Again, private plane. Like, you know, Dano's living pretty good right now, right? Um, you know, sandwich and, sandwich and a beer on the oh, plane. Oh, you're like an NBA Atlanta free agent. Yeah, you're flying around. Yeah, yeah you're good. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Kawhi um, Leonard, Dan Shulman, same treatment. Yeah, no, like same treatment. No, no frequent flyer program on Air Vital. Not, right. No points, nothing. Right. You know. <laughs> We land in Sarasota at like 2:45 in the morning, and I'm going to sleep at his house. And then uh, the next, uh, the day after, we're going to have a game. And there's a car waiting, like a sedan, a limo, waiting at the at the airport in Sarasota. And Dick and I get in, and we get to his house at say 3:15 in the morning. And we get out of the car, and we each have our little suitcase, and we walk up to the front door of his house, and he rings the doorbell. And I look at him, and I said. 
what the hell's wrong with you? Like, what are you doing ringing the doorbell at 3.15 in the morning? And he looks at me like I'm crazy, and he goes, well, I don't have keys. And I was like, what are you talking about? You live here, and you're an adult. How do you not have keys? And God bless his you're wife, an adult. Lorraine. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was my first mistake. And God bless his wife, Lorraine, who is the nicest person on earth. Five seconds later, the door opens, you know, bathrobe, slippers, half asleep. Hi. Hi, Lorraine. Sorry, Lorraine. And she, and she looked at me like, like, this isn't my first rodeo. Like, you think this is the first time he's rung the doorbell right. at 3.15 in the morning. And, and everybody goes to bed. And then the next day when we leave for the game, as we're heading out the door to get in the car to go to the airport, she goes, now he's your problem for the next 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll take, I'll take a Dick Vitale story any day of the week. Uh, Dan Schulman here on Tim and Sid. Dan, speak, uh, speaking of ESPN College basketball and, and, and being Canadian, uh, I, I, some of the great moments, Dan, when, when you do college basketball, I find, or when you do bring up your home, and one of your analysts has one reference, and they think they just hit it out of the park. Like, they know mm-hmm. Canada. They, and Jay Billis did it again last night. For those who missed mm-hmm. West Virginia Gonzaga, again, this was the exchange between Dan Schulman and Jay on ESPN. Roll it. Nice job by Watson to get in there and almost take a charge. Yeah, how about the Canadian with the Euro step right there to make it a four-point game? Like quite an international play. Canada, <laughs> Europe, a lot going on. Yeah. The next time you do a game with me where there's a Canadian, and I don't mention that he's a Canadian, we'll be the first. <laughs> Nemhard with a three, and then Nemhard with a layup. And Gonzaga needs all that the Florida transfer can give him right now. Zag's back within four. He's no Turk Broda. <laughs> Man, a producer in his ear just gave him that in the moment, right? Like, that's... No. that's you no, want to hear the story? It's Turk actually... Broda before. Oh, he's... That's not the first it, time I've heard all right, I stand that correct. Guy Please tell us a story, Dan. We got time. Go ahead. It's a great story. So a couple of three, maybe two, three years. Well, the, the Zion uh, RJ year. Um, ESPN is launching ESPN Plus, their streaming service. Duke is playing the games uh, in Toronto and in Montreal. Remember, they came north and they did that exhibition series. Yeah, RJ, uh, Rowan, Rowan was there. Yeah, Mississauga. I remember yeah. that. Yep. Yeah. Um, so... Jay and I, ESPN asked me and Jay to do the games for ESPN+. Plus. So we said, sure. So we're doing these three games in Canada. And Jay, just for giggles, created like a Canadian trivia quiz that he gave to me on the air. Um, you know, what's the biggest mall, West Edmonton, whatever. What's the capital of? And some of them were sports questions. And I don't remember what the question was, but the answer to one of the questions was Turk Broda. Which I which I got. I think it was. I, I can't. It was some, you know some Maple Leaf Hall of most shoutouts by a Maple Leaf goalie or something. I can't remember. And I say Turk Broda, and I'm like, hey, it's Turk Broda. The next day, we're at our next game, and some guy comes up to us. By the way, we're doing the game from the penalty box out in Mississauga. That's where our our broadcast location was. And a guy comes up with us, comes up to us, and he goes, "I heard you last night talking about Turk Broda." He goes, "I have this old um, autographed picture of Turk. I think it was autographed. Maybe it wasn't, but I have an old photo of Turk Broda." And he he said he appreciated Jay doing the quiz so much. He gave Jay this picture of Turk Broda to take back to North Carolina with him. I don't know what Jay did with it, but so ever since. Turk Broad has been kind of an inside joke uh, between us for the last couple of years. You know how small the world is? That's my buddy's dad, Grant Chapman, who handed uh, Billis the... Oh, name. really? Are you kidding? Yeah. 
I've actually That's gone right. to the NCAA tournament with Jeff Chapman wow. and Grant Chapman before. So how about that? That is fun. I uh, I used to work uh, and and used to work at sports. So this Chad is it. Walker. The five of us Grant, who like college basketball in Canada. Yeah. That we just grandson we just, of uh, the circle together. Yeah. It's all coming together. Uh, Dan, wow. I don't know. I don't know what we accomplished here, but I really enjoyed the segment. Um, I anytime you want to come on and just tell some stories, I'm all in favor of it, especially in 2020 because I need it. Congratulations well, again on the Canadian baseball. You. Sorry, thank go ahead. Go ahead. I, want to, I want to thank you for making me remember the most embarrassing, troubling, depressing moment that's of my career. Than, sorry, other than that question, yeah, that's not. Hey, Shulman, that, that, you, that didn't land. At least you have your own house keys. Okay, that's got to make you feel better about yourself. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I, but I got to tell you, I'm, I got to talk to mom about the chocolate cake. Sid may be on the outs because he took me to a dark place today. So what? We'll yeah, sorry about that. But one last thing: when you when you stay in Dick Vitale's house, does he wake you up the next day and just by hearing him like fu- like a floor below you, like is that how you wake uh, up to? Oh, where's the eggs? Where's it's a bad Dick Vitale. I'm sorry, but yeah, sometimes it does happen. So I haven't stayed there in, in probably seven or eight years. But um, his and Lorraine's bedroom is on the main floor. The guest rooms are upstairs, but you can still hear him banging around like crazy. I'll, I'll give you I'll give you another funny one. So I sleep over at the house one night. Lorraine leaves early. I was, I sleep, you know, we get in at three in the morning and Lorraine obviously didn't. So Lorraine leaves early. Dick goes to play tennis at like eight in the morning, forgets I'm sleeping in the house, leaves the house, calls Lorraine, says, I've left the house. Can you put the alarm on? She puts oh, the no. alarm on. Oh, I no. wake up and set off the motion detector as I'm walking around in the house. <laughs> so you do. You so, how do you stop it? so how do you stop it? Um, I called him. He had no idea what to do. So I called like a nice house, like, like legit alarm, right? Like real alarm. Like, so he goes, I don't know what. So I called Lorraine and she knows the, whatever the password was. And she said, I'll call the company. Just don't move. It'll be fine. And she called them and finally, and then she got to them before they showed up. But like I was, I was on the verge of getting arrested for breaking into Vitality. I was about to say I was going to read in some AP copy. Dan right. Shulman was caught breaking into Dick Vitale's. The Sarasota you know, Police Department water. <laughs> no Pinellas County now. Is I forget. It? Uh, yeah, I, I sense. Just listen, Berkey's got a good book out. I think Dan, you you could have a couple volumes. Of it, you, know. <laughs> you can have. A, I'm, I don't know if it's the Tell All ESPN from a couple of years ago. I'm not saying yeah. that, but you got some. You got some just material. Dick friend. and Dan. Yeah. yeah. The title. Yeah. Yeah, Vitale's a few chapters, that's for sure. Uh, Dan, all the best, man. Take care. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Be well. Dan Shulman, one and only. Uh, I was gonna, we we're going to talk baseball and stuff. I thought it was a better segment. I thoroughly. That was awesome. I just yeah. love geeking out on media with Dan because he's that kind of guy. He's that good. How do you um, own house keys? <laughs> <laughs> they don't make them like Dick Vitale anymore. No, they, they do not. When we come back... Uh, I want to honor another sports radio show that's going to kind of have a transition coming up. And, and I just want to read to you what Alfonso Davies actually got accomplished in the last 12 months. Aside from turning 20 years of age, the resume is incredible, and he was honored today. That after this with Arashman Danny. This is Tim and Sid live on TV and radio. So earlier in the show, I mentioned that our... Um, quarantining world juniors in red deer part of the time uh that they are passing stuck in their rooms is they had a rock paper scissors tournament via zoom i would assume uh virtually because they can't they can't leave the rooms they're quarantined till december 7th i believe so immediately a rash's first instinct which i was not expecting 
was to have a quick game of rock, paper, scissors live on air. I was thrown. Arash claims I'm cheating. We have the clip. You be the judge. Roll it. Let's do it. Rock, paper, scissors. Let's go. Rock, paper, scissors. All right, hold on. Yeah. Hold on. Three, three, two, one. One. To <laughs> you're such a cheater on a delay. That's a delay. Not a you, cheater. You cheated and I still beat you. You asked. You're unbelievable. Scissors on a delay. How dare you, Madani? How dare you? I've enjoyed. How did you lose this. on a delay when you were cheating? I was not cheating. I just watched the Lance. I Armstrong want an answer to that too. question. I judge. take offense. How to do that? you lose? I take offense when you're on a delay and you're cheating. I just want an answer. Okay, to let's the let me because because I couldn't frame it properly. Let's one more time. One more this time. is terrific radio. Rock, paper, scissors. Yes, On is. three. One, two, three. <laughs> and it's the same. He went scissors, I went paper. Well, that's going to get us an award. Um, also going on, speaking of great radio, Arash, do yes. I, I need to explain to people, because Tim and I mentioned Dan Levitard a lot here from ESPN. Yeah. I need to explain the radio show fully, right? Like, I know that the, the sports heads listening know exactly what I'm talking about when I say the, the Le, Dan Levitard and Stu Gatz. They know what I'm talking about. But I guess I should explain it more to the, to the lay person, right? Sure. Because today, today's an important day because the – and I work in the industry, and I have fun in the industry, and I respect a lot of people at a lot of stations that do sports radio. The best show I have ever heard in my life is the Dan Levitard radio show, hmm. period. They are insane. That's, that's high praise. They are brilliant communal it's a family the production is brilliant led by mike ryan and the rest of that shipping container it's got everything you want it's a madhouse and it's it mocks sports radio but at times it hits it better than anyone else so espn today announced the dan levitard show uh, is basically going off espn air january 4th so levitard's leaving espn and he's not doing highly questionable anymore now, the press release uh, had a long Levitard quote in it. And for those who have not been following, Dan's relationship with ESPN, uh, how, would you, how would you describe it over the last several months, Arash? Like what, how would you phrase it? Yeah, I'd probably say. a little tense. Um, he had an hour shaved from his national radio slot on ESPN radio. And not that long ago, Chris Cody, who's an integral production guy with the show, he was part of the ESPN cuts. Dan, the following Monday, brought him back into the show, paid his salary, his benefits and didn't tell ESPN. So I don't know if one has something to do with the other, but it was a hell of a move, but that's what the show means to each other. That's what that, that's what that crew is. So Dan Levitard is leaving ESPN January 4th is last year based on the statement from Dan. Um, the show is going to continue. Mm-hmm. We're not sure where he seems really upbeat. This is not the end of the show. And, and cause good thing is it means a lot to a lot of people, but it is a, it is a brilliant, brilliant piece of sports radio. And I'm very, very happy that they're going to continue. I mean, I don't know if it's Spotify, like what else is out there? Sirius or Ash? Like what are the options? The usual suspects? Is there something I'm right. missing? They might, yeah. they might do that. Anyway. Peacock maybe. That's where maybe. Dan Patrick and Rich Eisen and pro football maybe. talk are. Yeah. Hell, put the show on Netflix. Put the show on Prime, on Amazon Prime. I don't know. You can do anything with it. We don't know what the next move is, but Dan Levitard is amazing. And I wanted to acknowledge that. And for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, podcast it in its current form while you can, because I don't know what it's going to look like. I'm assuming it's going to look even crazier, which is great. It's that good a show. Mm-hmm. It, it's part doesn't make sense and part makes complete sense, especially in these times. Um, finally, Alfonso Davies was named uh, Canada Soccer Male Player of the Year today, to the surprise of nobody. 
Our uh, our female player of the year will be announced tomorrow. By the way, Alfonso Davies. We're, we and still it'll be don't Kadisha know. Buchanan, right? It has to be. Has to yeah. be another uh, another Champions League win. Um, Michael Singh wrote into the show. I asked earlier, Arash, if, if anyone knows the actual numbers about this Alfonso Davies vote today, because I still don't know if it was unanimous. And if it's not unanimous, I'm going to lose my mind. Mm-hmm. But Michael Singh, managing editor of uh, WalkingTheRed.com, and we appreciate all the soccer heads that do give us time because we love footy here. He said, not sure if it's unanimous or not, but Fonzie earned the highest voting score ever for the award, just a fraction better than Christine Sinclair's record from 2012. So we appreciate that. Um, again, he's 20 years old, left back for Bayern Munich. He's coming back off injury. This is what he did this year. Won the Champions League with Bayern Munich. Won the German Bundesliga with Bayern Munich, their national title. Won the equivalent of the FA Cup in Germany, the DFB Pokal. Won the UEFA Super Cup with Bayern Munich. Won the German Super Cup with Bayern Munich. Was recorded to be the fastest human being in the history of the Bundesliga with Bayern Munich. Bundesliga Rookie of the Season. For Alfonso Davies, um, what where is the ceiling, Arash? Like it's and we, we this isn't new. Like this is no news to us that he's amazing. Yeah. But when you look at the resume and he's twenty years old, where is the ceiling? But l- let me let me take this in a different direction. And this is oh. meant as no disrespect to Dero, to Julian de Guzman, to um, Simeon Jackson, to Jonathan David, to Craig Forrest, to Alex Bunbury. Alfonso Davies just had the greatest year of any men's soccer player in the history of our country. Correct. And it's not even close. Yep. Bobby Leonard Doozy. It's, it's no man has no disrespect to any of those guys, even the guys who got Canada to Mexico 86. This is what Alfonso Davies did this year, Sid, in a word, impossible. Yep. 20 years old. Uh, quick correction to Michael Singh specifically. I said walking the red, waking the red, obviously. My bad. I am terrible at my job. Arash Medani is great. And uh, he was great today. Arash, uh, thank you, brother. Yeah, Much man. appreciated. Another fun show. Thanks you, uh, thank you all for watching. Thank you all for listening. My name is Sitzik Saro. His is Arash Medani. Again, uh, for the vacationing, Tim McAuliffe. And as we leave you in these times, it's a soundbite that never gets old on this show. Just be careful, kids, when you go out there and never forget to. I wash your hands, wash your hands, and wash your hands. Rash gets in there washing his hands. Good Good example for the youth. Good example. Fingernails. See ya.